to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog owners. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm Rachel Harris. I'm a certified professional dog trainer, and I hope to give you a fresh outlook on your dog's behavior and practical dog training advice. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I'm so happy that you all are here. I hope that you guys are adapting to the new social distancing protocols wherever you live. So I know that a lot of you wonderful people listening have reactive and or fearful dogs. And I know that that's been particularly rough because there are so many other people out right now. So um, Lindsay wrote an amazing blog about how to handle off-leash dogs approaching you. So I'm really excited to have her with me today. Lindsay, so much, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I listen to your podcast all the time. Really glad to pitch in a little and hopefully have something to contribute. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, so for those of you listening, um, I know that the uptick and people out and about is definitely leaning to off-leash dogs approaching you. Um, it's definitely not fair or right, but today we wanted to give you some practical, applicable steps you could be taking to handle if you were to encounter um, an off-leash dog in um, your neighborhood or, or wherever you're walking. So, um, Lindsay, can you talk to us? Let's kind of let's let's set the scene. So maybe you're out walking and you're walking maybe by yourself and you have your dog and you see a a dog approaching, an off-leash dog approaching, and you see that the, the, the dog does have an owner with it. Um, can you tell my listeners your suggestion for like that particular scenario? Like what would be your first step? Yeah. So, I mean, this is obviously sort of the best case scenario if you have an off-leash dog, but there's a person there that's promising that that person might be able to do something about it. But we've all been there where you say, hey, can you leash your dog? Or they just scream out, oh, it's okay, my dog's friendly. And it's like, um, I didn't say anything about your dog being friendly or not. This is about my dog feeling uncomfortable with this situation. So I just like to sidestep all of that with a bit of a white lie. Um, my go-to for years was, hey, can you please leash your dog? My dog has kennel cough right now. Obviously, dogs with kennel cough still have to go to the bathroom and get a little bit of exercise. So people might be a little snide, but they can't get too upset at you. Um, then actually a few months ago, my dog had a small mass removed from her chin. So she had stitches no one could see, and she didn't have a cone. And people were actually super responsive when I just called out, hey, my dog has stitches. Can you leash your dog? Um, no one saw a cone of stitches for sure. So that's another one you could kind of borrow from her situation there. Um, this totally though, will the success of this, I feel like depends a lot on your dog. So Kona is a pit bull mix and I get pretty snappy responses when I have her with me and I ask people to leash their dog. This might not work as well if you have a littler dog or like a doodle that people think of as a little cuter traditionally, which is kind of annoying, but I guess, you know, pit bulls take a lot of flack in society and you can think of this as one of the small benefits of having a dog with that type of appearance. Um, another thing that I think you can try for this situation is um, trying to have some sort of visual cue to communicate that your dog needs space. 
So I've been um, sharing for a couple years now with clients about the yellow dog project. It's this idea that if a dog has a yellow harness or leash or bandana or a ribbon tied to their leash or something like that, that it just means they need space. It could be medical reasons, training, health, um, issues with humans, issues with dogs, just give them a little bit of a buffer. And I feel like it's picking up traction in certain communities where I bring it up to people and they've actually heard of it before, which wasn't the case when I started talking to people about it a couple years ago. So that yeah. is something you can try. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of the Yellow Dog Project. And I think that you, you touch on something really important here, right? Is that if we can have something visually on the dog that the other owner can notice from a distance, that could even prevent us from maybe even having to have a conversation with the people, right? So yeah, like totally. yellow bandana that says, I need space or yellow vest that says in training, right? So I think that whatever you need to do to communicate to the rest of the world, world that your dog cannot handle them or their dog approaching the better and you know I like your idea of just like little white lies right like hey my dog is sick and I think that that's amazing but I think that's something that I've observed you know in, in my years of doing this is that I think that although it's frustrating and it can be scary right for you to be out with your reactive or fearful dog and this dog is approaching I think that the calmer you can talk to the person I think the better response you're going to get from that person and I think the less tension and you know, more intensity you're going to add to this, the situation for your own dog. Because remember, right? Like if oh, you're yeah. holding the leash of your dog and you're screaming at someone else, that's going to alert your dog too, right? And they're going to be more on high alert. So um, it's not always easy, but I think the more calm you can remain, I think the better outcome. Totally. And even if this isn't the way you feel or the way the situation is helping that person feel like they're doing something nice for you will give them a little extra motivation to leash their dog and to feel like they were good to you even if it you know shouldn't be that way yeah absolutely and you know i know that it's frustrating i feel for you guys listening but i think that for the most part people with their dogs off leash are not trying to be a total nuisance right they're not trying to be jerks and like you know on the flip side of that like you know all of you listening you know that i let my dogs be off leash a lot right i really do but i'm the cognizant owner that as soon as i see someone with a leash dog i call my dogs back and put them on leash so um you know i think that obviously it's hard because it's scary when we see off-leash dogs, but I don't think we need to villainize the off-leash dog owner per se, right? Like they're just trying yeah. to do the best for their dogs too. So I think the more kindness we can treat them with, the sooner they're going to be able to do what you need them to do so that you and your dog can be successful. Absolutely. I love that. We should all be trying to support each other as much as we can. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So, um, so let's talk about another scenario here. So let's talk about we're out with our leashed reactive and our fearful dog and we see a loose dog charging and there's not an owner with that loose dog. What would you yeah, do? And so here's how I would handle that. But just a quick note, this is also how you handle it. If there is a person and the dog isn't listening or the person isn't listening to you. So this is honestly what you probably will end up doing more of the time than what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm going to give you a variety of strategies and it's going to really kind of depend on the landscape and you and your dog, which one you'll put into practice. So I would just kind of think through as we're going through which one sounds most relatable or practical for you. Um, so number one, the most ideal is that you would find some sort of barrier to put between yourself and that oncoming dog. Maybe you just hopped out of your car in a trailhead and didn't realize someone else's dog was in that trailhead off leash. You can just toss your dog right back in. Maybe your neighbor's got a fenced in front yard and you see someone's off leash dog coming across the street and you can sneak into your neighbor's yard. Um, it's, you know, not that often that you'll be in that situation, but that is going to be your safest bet to know that you have a physical impenetrable or somewhat impenetrable barrier between you and that dog rather than relying on something in your behavior or the do that dog's behavior to make a change. Um, the next thing you can do, if that dog looks relatively mellow, they're not sprinting straight at you, they've got this loose wiggly body language as they're approaching, you might be able to distract them with treats. So this is worth a shot if that dog looks pretty mellow, you've got some kind of close by exit strategy, or maybe there is a handler, they're just not quite getting the dog's attention or they haven't quite grasped the situation yet. So that dog's gonna realize that you have treats pretty quickly, but if you only need to distract them for a few seconds for the situation to get under control again, that's gonna be a great way to do it without really upsetting anyone too much. Um, and you probably already have treats with you if you're out with a nervous or reactive dog. I agree, right? Like, I think that you, you need to be observing the body language of the dog that's approaching you, right? And if the dog just seems genuinely, like, interested in you, but doesn't seem like it has a ton of intent, right? Like, they're coming towards you, but they're just kind of like, hey, what are we doing here? I do think that the treat toss is a great option, right? But the treat toss, like you're saying, Lindsay, with the caveat of like, okay, I'm going to toss the treats, but then what am I going to do? So really yes. surveying your landscape, right? Like you're talking about, right? Like maybe you can toss those treats and maybe you can turn a corner and try and hustle away. That would be a good option. Um, but Lindsay, let's talk about if that dog has more intent, more intensity, right? It doesn't seem just like a genuinely interested dog. Like it seems like the dog is coming um, and, and is not necessarily friendly. Like let's talk about some other options you think yeah. people can be implementing. Or they are aggressively friendly, like they're a little too into your dog. And um, so the next step that I would take is using a squirt water bottle. So one of those like old fashioned bike bottles from the nineties where you squeeze it and water sprays out the top and spray it in an arc in front of you and your dog. If that's not stopping the other dog, you can potentially even aim straight for their face and just aim like right at their nose and squeeze a stream straight at them. You're definitely going to upset the other handler with this one. So um, it's just water. You should be able to talk to them about it. Um, but that is why, you know, this, the other things are sort of my go-to before this one. 
No, I love the squirt bottle idea because that's an easy thing just to carry with you, right? And and then you're not yeah. running the risk of like it harming your dog or you or, or harm, harming the other dog for that matter. Um, and, you know, I think that just a caveat on this, right? Like squirt bottles, I think, are something that find their way into dog training a lot, right? For like punishing unwanted behavior. But that's not what we're talking about in this context, right? We're not advocating for using squirt bottles in the name of training. We're using the squirt bottle in the name of self-defense, when an off-leash dog is charging you. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And that is a really important thing to clarify. Um, yeah. Pro tip here, bring a second water bottle for this one. You don't want to drink all your water and then not have it when you need it. Uh, so, so this could even just be water that sits in there forever. It doesn't matter if it gets plasticky and gross. You're only going to use it, you know, hopefully never, but only if you really need it. Um, yeah, that's if, great. Okay. So, so what else, what else do you think people can be doing? So if you need to intensify past that, which, um, I, so if you need something more intense than water, I would recommend citronella spray. I would never recommend pepper spray. Citronella spray is a stinky smell. That's going to be really disruptive and distracting to the other dog, maybe somewhat aversive to them, probably somewhat aversive to them, but it's not going to be physically harmful. And if it starts blowing around and some gets on you, the other owner, your dog, especially your dog, you're not going to be causing too many, um, hopefully long lasting psychological issues. Um, same thing, you would spray it in front of you as that dog is coming over. I recommend that if your dog is teeny teeny and you really worry that, you know, if there was an incident with another dog, they could be really injured or they have some other type of medical or physical issue where that's more of a concern for you. Um, if you're someone who's been really traumatized by something like this in the past, so you need that better psychological protection for yourself, um, or if your dog has injured another dog before. That being said, if your dog has injured other dogs, I think they should be wearing a muzzle in public. So this would not be my only defense, but I think if you have your muzzled dog out and you're pretty concerned, you know the situation probably won't go well if that dog makes it all the way over to you, that citronella spray could work pretty well. Yeah, no, and, and I love that you touched on the human's response, right? Because I think that that's half of the battle, right? Is that like as humans, we have had these negative experiences in the past, right? Where we're out with our reactive and or fearful, maybe aggressive dogs and another dog has approached, like those responses stick with us just as much as, as they do with our dogs, right? So, you know, half of this equation here is empowering yourself to feel like you have some modes of defense um, because while it's not right or fair, right? Like these situations, unfortunately are unavoidable a lot of the time. You know what I mean? Like people, things happen, dogs run, dogs approach. And, you know, all of you wonderful listeners, you've heard me preach on the muzzles before, right? But I think, you know, just to piggyback off of what you said, Lindsay, is that um, if you do have a dog who is capable of doing physical harm to other dogs, I agree. I think that the dog should be wearing a muzzle when they're out. But with that as a caveat, just because the dog is wearing a muzzle doesn't mean that it still can't go south. 
Um, I, I know of several occasions where muzzled dogs, the muzzles were ripped off by the dog who approached them and charged them, right? So like, I think that still having the water bottle and the citronella spray in addition to the muzzle is definitely gonna just set you up with the best chance of mitigating the damage from a potential situation of an off-leash dog charging your dog. Definitely, yep. Yeah. Um, okay, and then um, do you have a particular brand of the citronella spray that you use? So I have never actually had to use it in the real world. I carry Spray Shield, um, but I have not tested it to tell you, you know, that I have strong preferences of one over the other. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's the same thing for me, right? Like I have Spray Shield, thankfully I've never been able to use it, but I want to just kind of circle back really quickly to um, pepper spray is not a good option, guys. Um, I think that probably you can understand why that's not a good option. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of risk to your own dog, right? Because ultimately our, our concern is protecting our own dog. And like Lindsay was saying, right? Like the citronella spray, if it does get on them, is not going to be like as harmful as, as pepper spray could be. But I love the water bottle idea. I love the citronella spray. Um, there are some wonderful ladies. Um, they are called, uh, they're from New Orleans. They're, they're smart bitch dog training and they've actually been on the podcast before and they made a suggestion of a whistle, right? Like, like a whistle you would use mm -hmm. like in sports mm -hmm. as another mode of trying to deter a dog. So I think that that's worth bringing up again, right? Like just a loud whistle, but with the caveat of if your dog is noise sensitive, then we're looking at a negative association from your dog in addition to scaring away the other dog. So, you know, there's that too. So, um, Lindsay, what else, what else do you think people can do in these scenarios? So, um, one other thing that I would say in this scenario is something you shouldn't do. And I would not recommend using yourself as a barrier. I know other people recommend that and try it and have maybe had success. I have too much experience with redirected bites to feel comfortable suggesting humans put themselves between dogs in intense situations or dogs and the things that they want. Um, so I don't know if your listeners know much about redirected bites. Um, it's basically when a dog um, has a lot of emotion or intensity built up about something and they take that out by biting something or someone else that's nearby. So it's common when a dog is frustrated and not able to access something they want. It's common when a dog is really scared or really angry about something that they can't get to. Um, so I have seen plenty of dogs bite their owners because they were there while that dog was upset about another dog. So if you already have a dog who has issues with other dogs, you are putting your own dog at risk potentially of biting you and having to deal with all that that entails, which to be totally honest is much worse for your dog than the medical side of it will be for you. Um, so I really think avoiding bites from either dog as much as possible is super important. Yeah, and I like that you brought that up, right? Because obviously we have the best intentions, but um, redirected aggression from our own dogs to us can not only be like obviously like physically dangerous, but I also worry about like the emotional fallout from that between you and your dog, right? Because, yep. um, you know, for my listeners, you guys have heard me talk about Sonny before and, um, you know, he got in a lot of dog fights in his lifetime, but 
Um, I can think of a particular instance where I was breaking up a dog fight. He did re redirect and he did nail me. And, you know, obviously in those moments, like Sonny didn't, didn't quote unquote mean to bite me, right? He still did. It still happened. His, his intention wasn't to get me per se. It was just like the heat of the moment. But, um, you know, from the emotional standpoint, I felt betrayed. You know, in a lot of ways, I felt betrayed that he bit me. Like, how could he? I never thought he would. Um, but it happens. And, and Lindsay, I, I got to agree with what you're saying here, right? Like, putting yourself in between is definitely not something that I would suggest. And obviously, in the heat of the moment, like, it just happens and we do these things. But I think that if we can be thinking about this beforehand, it can really be helpful. So um, I want to kind of address when the other dog is there. We have a dog that's not dog friendly. Maybe we can sense a fight is going to break out. Like obviously guys, we want to try and prevent all of this as best as we can, but sometimes we cannot. And I want to make sure that you guys can stay safe in the, the incident that a dog does get to you and maybe a fight does break out. So um, again, guys, there's going to be lots of different situations and scenarios, but we want to give you some guidelines for if a fight were to break out. So, um, you know, my first mode is always grabbing the back of the dog, right? So I'm thinking legs, maybe tail. There is still a risk of the dog redirecting on you, but at least you can kind of get out of the scenario a little bit more. So Lindsay, can you give my listeners an idea of like some other modes that you think people can try in the incident that a fight does break out? Yeah. And so I would say my first recommendation, honestly, is to consider letting the fight resolve itself. Most dog fights fall into what I would more call arguments than fights. The dogs are face to face. They're very loud. They're snapping and baring their teeth a lot, but they're both putting on a big show. They're not trying to cause significant damage to the other dog. Most incidents like that self-resolve within a minute or two, and besides maybe a nick to an ear or a cheek, there's very minimal damage. So given what we just talked about, about redirected bites and how dangerous it can be for the dog to bite someone and for your relationship with your dog to let that happen or to have that happen, um, I always think try, if, if you can let it work itself out, that that is what's going to be best. Um, if the dogs start to get more quiet and you see that they're biting at legs or going for the belly, um, that's when things get more serious. And I do think the risk of stepping in becomes worth it. So the first thing I'm going to do if I am going to try to break up a dog fight is try to get them to separate themselves using some of the strategies we already talked about. So blowing a whistle, smacking the end of my leash against something to try to make a loud noise, spraying water on them. Um, at home, I would use a blanket. You probably won't have that with you because we're talking about being out and about, but maybe you have a coat or something you could toss in. Um, so trying to get the dogs to separate by either kind of distracting them or putting something in the middle. Um, like I said before, if you think it's an argument and they're not doing much damage, they're barking a lot, they're in each other's faces, if, neither, if those things don't work and you're by yourself, I really would, again, highly recommend trying to let it resolve itself. But if you have some help, you think you can safely separate the dogs or you think things are getting risky and you really need to, 
Um, I also like to go for the back legs as how I separate dogs. So um, if the other owner's there, you'll each do this to your own dog. Or if you've got somebody with you, you can kind of buddy up and say, okay, I'm taking our dog, you go to the new dog. Um, if it's just you, figure out if there's one dog who's the instigator. If there's only one instigator and getting them apart means the other dog isn't gonna keep fighting, then that's the dog you want to pull off. But if they're both super game and you're dragging one around isn't gonna give the other one a chance to get away, they're just gonna follow, then again, don't bother with this. Um, so I wheelbarrow them. So I decisively walk up to the back of the dog, grab them by the thighs or the waist, quickly pick it up off the ground and walk backwards a few feet. Um, there is still a risk of a redirected bite, like you were saying, Rachel, but without their back legs on the ground, they don't have as much leverage, the force isn't gonna be as strong, and it would be tricky for them to get their heads back anyways. Yeah, no, and, and I love everything that you said. So I, I wanna just touch on the knowing if they're gonna resolve it or not, right? So if you yeah. own a dog that has a history of aggression, who has been in fights, who has physically done damage, the likelihood of them resolving it on their own is much lower. So you just gotta know that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure those of you listening, you're like already thinking this, right? Like that's not my dog, they're not gonna redirect and let go. But Lindsay, I think that you bring up a really good point, right? That oftentimes it's more of like a quote unquote scuffle, right? Where it sounds really bad, but no, no the dogs aren't fighting, holding on. It's not as serious in that way. So I think that, that that's a really good point, right? And obviously we wanna keep our dogs safe guys, but, um, Lindsay, you touched on this a little bit, but I want to just bring it back up again, right? That like dogs doing damage to other dogs versus dogs doing damage to people cause, you know, it just carries different ramifications. And while obviously we all love our dogs and, you know, we consider them our children, there is still this hierarchy in the world that we live in. You know what I mean? That, that if a person gets bit and it gets reported, there are just more serious repercussions. And, and, and it's, it's a lot, right? Like, I think it's a heavy emotional weight to think about, but I think we also need to be honest and real about that, right? That like, if we can just let the, the scuffle resolve itself, that could potentially save both dogs from any legal ramifications because of the fight. Um, so mm -hmm. for those of you listening, I do quite a bit of court ordered dog training for aggression cases, right? So these cases where like, okay, there was a fight and the owner did get bit and it did get reported. Um, there's just more like liability and there's, there's more risk to the dog's life if they do bite a person. So I think that that's, that's why we're, we're talking about this. You know what I mean? Because unfortunately, um, dogs doing damage to other dogs is not as, legally binding as dogs doing damage to people. And I actually used to do those same, I did evaluations with the court system, helping them figure out what needed to happen to keep society safe after a dog had bit another dog or a person. And that is part of why I am so intense about not getting in the middle of dog fights. The risk really is, like you said, much worse if they bite a human. Yeah, for sure. So, um, <laughs> I think that if you are alone and the fight is, it's not going to resolve itself, right? Like it's happening. I think that calling, screaming for help, seeing if you can get someone else out there to help you, because, you know, I got to be honest, if it's just you and it's two medium, large sized dogs and they're really going at it, 
it's much more challenging. So, you know, I, I want to give you guys some tools here because I know that sometimes these scenarios happen, like trying to call for help is definitely worth doing too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah. I don't know if, you know, with your history with your dogs, if you've been in some of those more intense situations, the vast majority of the ones that I've seen myself or with my clients or even working at a shelter where dogs would get access to each other where they shouldn't, resolved a little more easily than that. So for those of you who haven't been out there and seen, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with your dog, I would not assume the worst case scenario. I think a lot of these things are easier to work out and less dangerous than your mind can sometimes go to. Not saying yeah. that you should like go to like let them happen, but just we're trying to give you confidence to get out there. <laughs> Yes. No. And, and I love that you bring that up. So like, you know, obviously a lot of my learning history with this and breaking up fights resolves from Sonny, right? And Sonny is a bit of a unicorn, so to speak, right? That like he was truly very dog aggressive and he did do damage, physical damage to other dogs in his lifetime. So obviously my mind goes there, but like, you know, those of you listening, I think that I've, I've talked about this in a previous podcast episode, right? That like, um, Tiba and Waylon are both pretty dog friendly and this happened several months ago, but we were out and we were walking past a yard. There were three large Dobermans in the yard. They were barking, going absolutely bananas. They ended up getting the fence open and charging at us. And you'd think that that would have been a bloodbath. You know what I mean? Like you hear me say three large Dobermans. I have an Amstep. It must've been a bloodbath. It wasn't. The dogs got to us. Everybody greeted. And then seriously, like 10 seconds later, the Dobermans went back to their house. So yes, Lindsay, I love that you bring up that point, right? That like, we don't necessarily need to think that it's going to be this like terrible, awful fight, right? Because unless yep. you have a dog that has a history of aggression, most dogs, yes, maybe there may be some scuffling. It's still going to be stressful. I don't want to diminish that. It's still going to be mm -hmm. stressful. But yeah, I think that I love that you brought up that point, right? That it's not necessary. Far fewer cases are going to result in like full-blown dog fights. You can't just break up or let resolve. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Although I do think it's great that you have that experience to help people know what to do with your first-hand knowledge. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, guys, I, I'm going to tell just one story and then we'll kind of move on because I know your time is valuable. But I can think of a particular time I was, I was hiking with Sunny and a Labrador, like a happy lab, maybe like a year-old adolescent lab charged up on us. And before I could even tell the other owner, right, like this dog is really, really aggressive, Sunny had this dog by the neck right? And the dog is like screaming and freaking out. They, they didn't know what to do. And I honestly like, and I know this sounds crazy, you guys, but I want you to understand the realities of this. I literally punched Sonny on the top of the head. He let go of the lab. And I just like picked Sonny up upside down until this other dog, the other owner came over. And thankfully he didn't do any damage. I was able to resolve it, but like, you know, those are the realities. And I know that a lot of my listeners, um, are total badasses because they own dogs like this and they have no choice sometimes but to, but to yep. handle these scenarios. Yep, that's badass. Oh my God. I had coworkers um, who had to get a like 150 pound dog who had a hold of a pity and hadn't let go for minutes and ended up choking the dog to get him off. It was the only way to get him off. Yeah, right. So um, hopefully, guys, these worst case scenarios are not the reality that you're facing. But I also want to be honest and, and real with you guys about 
um, these potential situations and maybe how you can handle them. So Lizzie, so Kona is your reactive dog. Is that what you're saying? Kona's fearful. She's not reactive. Okay. I'm actually okay. lucky in that both of my dogs do pretty well out and about in the world. She has more issues at home. Okay. Um, yeah. So most of this is from experience working with clients. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. We've been there, you guys. Okay. So Lindsay, any final thoughts or strategies people can implement if they are out and they're approached by an off-leash dog? Um, yeah, I have two other quick things I would say. So the first is if something does happen, my experience working with the court systems gave me the impression that you should always try to be the one to call animal control first especially if the other dog was illegally off leash you're you were following the law and doing everything you could appropriately which i'm sure will be the case with your listeners here um that getting to set the tone and kind of explain how the situation arose things will go a lot better for you and your dog if you're the one who makes that call so if you think there's any chance that animal control will find out, which if a human has to have medical attention, animal control is obligated, or doctors are obligated to notify animal control. Yeah, um, and I think so that I would definitely get ahead of it. Point. Right, like that's important that people recognize, right? That, um, that, that doctors are legally required to report dog bites to people. Yes, even if it's your own dog biting you. Yeah, right. And, and they're required by law to do that. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, you guys got to use your own judgment. But Lindsay, I appreciate your insight on this, right? And knowing that, you know, from a legal standpoint, it may be a little bit easier if you've already like talked and checked in with animal control and let them know what happened. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I definitely think it's worth those conversations. The other thing I would say is if you're particularly worried about it, you're going to have more success keeping the dog away from you. And like we were saying, breaking up a fight, if you have a second person with you. So um, if you, for some reason, there's something about you or your dog that makes all of this a little bit more stressful or risky than it is for some other people, um, that would be my suggestion long-term. If you just need a little bit of a confidence boost to help you get out there, going out with a second person to know that you've really got the situation handled as best you can might give you a little bit of experience and help you feel better getting out on your own. Um, but if you have two people, you can kind of split up and have one person manage each dog. You can have someone retreating while the other person goes to try to intercept the other dog. You've got two people to break up a fight. Um, so you're just in a bit of a better situation. Yes, I love that, right? And that's such an, a tangible step that you can take to feel better. So I wanted just to talk about one scenario that just kind of like crossed my mind here. So I was out walking with my dogs and there was a loose Great Dane, right? Like just walking around loose, there was no owner and the dog seemed friendly enough, but the dog kept charging and approaching. And while Waylon obviously is pretty friendly, he was getting super frustrated and he started to like mm -hmm. lunge and bark at this dog. So what I ended up doing was just calling my husband who thankfully was home at the time. And I just had him come and pick up the dogs. And then I was able to get the dog, find out where I lived and returned it. So I think that that's mm -hmm. another strategy that could, that, that could work sometimes, right? It's just like literally calling someone to come and pick up your dog in the car so that you can handle the situation with the other dog too. Um, because I know it depends on, on the neighborhood and where people live, but I know that some of my listeners live in neighborhoods where the dogs are not always attached to people. 
right? Where it's That's just like, there's, yeah, there's, there's no one else to help. So sometimes I think, you know, that may be an option, right? Like just getting your dogs out of the scenario and then you can do your best, best to get that dog where it belongs. Yep. That's a great idea. And something I have actually had to do a couple times myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> my dogs were more open to letting that dog just come hang out with us forever, but <laughs> Well, and if you have friendly dogs, like that's, that's a nice option too. Okay. So, um, guys, I want you to know that Lindsay has videos and more specific instructions for everything that we talked about in today's episode. So Lindsay, if they want to find that blog, can you tell them where they can find that? And guys, I'll definitely include a link to this in the show notes too. Yeah. So it's at www.thehazeldog.com. Um, so it's a three-part series that goes into all of this in a little bit more detail and breaks it down into the different sections you might be having to deal with. Um, so you can kind of read through what all the options are and make a plan. Amazing. Okay. So Lindsay, if people want to connect with you, where else can they find you? Um, yeah, they can find me on YouTube. Uh, yeah. So if people want to connect with me, um, I upload videos weekly on the Hazel Dog YouTube channel, which is just Hazel Dog. Um, and I'm pretty regular posting on Instagram, which is Hazel Dog Official. Amazing. Awesome. Okay. And we'll include links to that in the show notes, guys, so that you can connect with Lindsay if you need. So Lindsay, thank you so much for taking your time, your time out of your day. I know that this is going to be really helpful for a lot of my listeners. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so glad to be here. It's an honor to be on your show. Hey, everybody. I wanted to just tell you what I can offer you in virtual training sessions. While it seems kind of funny to do dog training virtually, it's actually really, really productive. And I can help you with a wide range of behaviors from potty training your new puppy to training your reactive dog to integrating dogs into a household. So if you need training help, please reach out. I would love to connect with you in virtual training. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about us, please check us out on Instagram at a good feeling underscore in co. You can also find us on Facebook at a good feeling dog training, as well as our website, agfdogtraining.com.